Hey guys, welcome to another episode of MC Anime. MC Anime here, and we're back with co-host Leah. How you doing today, Leah? I am doing awesome. I was a bit tired, but then I chugged the energy drink, so I'm awake. Mm. Oh, and I'll either have a heart attack or have a great podcast episode. We're gonna find out. Maybe the vitamins, maybe the the deities of the vitamins of B world would be in your favor. There are no vitamins in this. It's just it's pure chaos in a can. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think most of the energy drinks are? Vitamin B. Loaded with true. vitamin B. True. They, <laughs> there's so many different ones now. So like I keep trying out different different brands just to see like what's mm-hmm. going to excite me. Oh, my, my poor body. But <laughs> but I'm good. How are you doing? Um, a lot going on, but I'm more happy to discuss this particular episode today. So what we're doing is Japanese history from then to now. And we are explaining some of the periods that are common in Japanese history. Mm-hmm. And this and is also is- like a pre-sequel episode to maybe other content. I ha- will probably do with someone else. So this will fit right into the podcast should be absolutely so there's quite a few periods to go through even though um japan it it is a smaller island and country but there is a lot of history packed into it so i think it'll be fun kind of just to do an overview and then yeah later later episodes dive deeper into um different topics all right so early japan until 710. Century 710. So we have, we're just going to have, we have different periods of this time associated with all the Japan. Briefly go over them and have like a reaction type deal and discuss it. Yeah, because they've had about, what, four different periods. Um, Just in early Japan. 710, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, first and foremost, what we're going to talk about is the Harmon period from 1300 BC, no, 13,000 BC to 300 BC. Mm-hmm. So, this is, goes back to Japanese islands gathering, fishing, and hunters. And Japan is the, is the name of the era's pottery. So, I guess pottery was big. So, what do you think of going back to the roots of hunting, gathering, and fishing? Honestly, uh, when it comes to history, unfortunately, regardless of the region, whenever it's that far back, anything BC, Mm -hmm. I'm like, we're all the same. (laughs) We're all just trying to survive and not get mauled by animals. But, um, yeah, especially with these islands, fishing and hunting – I can see those being the biggest things that are necessary. Gathering, yes, of course, but I I don't get the pottery. I didn't expect there to be pottery um, as a big thing so early on, so very cool. Well, how else would they get to everything is going to be hands, use your hands to eat and all that stuff. They would eventually saw that clay but to dry into something solid, so. 
True. But I think uh, basket weaving, even yeah. though that is something that most people make a joke of nowadays, I can see that being easier to do. But yeah, true. clearly, clearly Japan well, was on to something starting yeah, very, very well, early. Also, early Japan, uh, pottery was like really basic. It didn't really have like fancy design. It was just maybe a clay pot. Or, you know, most families at that time, they probably had one per person that they were able to make it. They would continuously wash it out, maybe because they saw over time that the pottery could get bad. I, don't know. I uh, doubt there was even one per person. I think it's probably more like one per family um, or like a limited set per family. Yeah. But this is very, very early on. Um, so we back to the Yao, Gay Yao period. Okay. Yo, 800 BC yeah, yeah. to two, yeah, 200 AD. Ah. So this is when um, the introduction of agriculture and social classes began to evolve in Japan. So essentially, I'm guessing, once they were able to actually start cultivating and knew how to use the area around them, that started to separate people from just being a village where everyone is working together and surviving to actually having merchants, um, having people who had more resources, yep. more to barter with. Yep. Yeah. From assistance type living is now going to what we call it upscale. You get become a little bit more sophisticated and able to do more because of over time you're able to adapt and learn different techniques that take centuries to learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, the social class system is good. So we have, you know, different people of different ranks finding the role and like better in this system than, uh, you know, because the home on period, you're very limited. Rice was also imported in 100 BC. So that becomes a big food crop and starch for them to eat, like just like similar to potatoes. We also had the beginning technology of iron and other modern ideas from Korea into Japan. And again, it's named after pottery. I guess we're going to have a common trend with pottery for at least the two centuries or two periods of the early Japan. So far, I mean, it's naturally going to be something that's going to be passed on. And I mean, it it running in competition with there now being an agricultural um, culture to be there with rice, and then yeah. having both China and Korean um, influence in like introductions to new techniques and new technologies and new languages and cultures. Uh, I can I'm actually surprised that pottery still remains something that, again, is just a traditional thing um, for Japan. Yeah. yeah. Well, Japan, Asia, Asian pottery is really highly sought out of, too. So it's during this, all these different periods that the pottery actually gets better and actually gets more sophisticated. So now we're at the Kofun period from 200 to 538. 
but now we're in the beginning digit centuries instead of like BC to AD. Um, this is what Yabama. So, hmm? We also have this, you know, center of power and fertile Guinea plain, and then by 400 AD, we are united as Yamamoto, Japan. So Yamamoto is a big epicenter during this particular time, and it's the social end around Yamamoto, which is now the Nara Prefecture. Mm -hmm. So when yeah. you think of some of the uh, Kofun period. Well, I mean, it runs in, like, it's concurrent with the fact that in the previous period, for the the Yaye or Yahweh um, period, they they got introduced to politics. They had a a Chinese queen come over, um, yeah. Kamiko, who basically ran the country. Uh, so they were introduced to the political system and then developed their own during this time. So this was a basically their their our our equivalent of Washington D.C. is um, what Yamato Japan was. But the, there was a big change in regards to the name. Well, not too big of a change, but yeah. um, the name the name Kofun um, comes from large tomes that were built for the political leaders that existed during that era. So I think this is one where you're seeing the caste system really starting to iron out. And then two, you're still seeing in the development of pottery. So rather than it being yeah. smaller items, now they're doing gigantic tombs yeah. or... Um, you know, set, um, ceremonial tombs for these political leaders. And then we also have, like, uh, the trans... The, another difference between uh, y Yari period and the Kofun period is the transition from monarch to emperor. Uh, yeah. Yama, yeah, it's, it's the capital, and it was moved frankly from one city to another. We also have the Saga clan taking on actual political power, only act as a symbol of the state and perform the Shinto rituals. So, so kind of like the royal family. Pretty much. Like, yeah. And now this is not stating that the emperors during this time, well, I mean, they were figureheads, to be honest. They didn't have much power, most much, you know, ceremonial and all this other stuff. But there is going to be a big transition of emperor actually regaining power that he once had. So you just keep that in mind. Absolutely. Um, and then up next, we have the Asaka period from 538 to 710. So um, from this point, the influence from the mainland increased strongly thanks to the friendly, friendly relations with the kingdom of Kudara, and the Korean on the Korean Peninsula, so this was a time where Japan and Korea were actually working in tandem with each other. And then Buddhism was introduced to Japan um, between 538 and 552, and yep. it was promoted by the ruling class. So the same way how in on the Western side Christianity was introduced and then pushed out there by the ruling mm -hmm. class, um, in the East Buddhism was pushed. Yeah, uh, and yeah. one particular figurehead we want to uh, focus on, Prince Shotoku, played 
of role in promoting the Chinese ideas. So the Chinese influence in Japan takes big root during this time as well. So they adopt, even though Japan kind of steals uh, some Chinese ideological ideas, it still makes the footpath for them to create their own system later on. You know, we have the Chinese writing system, we have the 17 articles about political and moral principles. It's really interesting that Confucianism during this time takes hold as well. I mean, Confucianism and Taoism were brought in. And I think this you, you do see every, every developing nation go through um, an era where once they are kind of established, once they have structure, once they have like a political system, um, there then becomes an influx of different religions being introduced that people can kind of get a choice to choose from. But there is always going to be the bigger towering one. So whether that be Confucianism or be Buddhism, um, I think those were the two bigger ones in Japan. Yeah. And Taoism well, also before that, it there. was mostly just Shinto beliefs. Mm-hmm. Shinto is still a traditional form of religion in Japan because of its uh, roots and history. Japan is really interesting because even though they have Shinto and Buddhism and even Christian Christianity later, they don't. They have like a religious tolerance, kind of, which is odd for dominated religions. In Asia during this time. Well, well over time this becomes. Yeah. More. I mean, we've talked about before the yeah. duality that exists within Japan, how yeah. they are able to do uh, like almost multifaceted, um, have a multifaceted culture and yeah. all of it be strong um, or all of it be maintained very well. It's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting place. Um, and somehow still very orderly in the way that that things transition. Well, we we've had we've seen like other nations have a bit of chaos with the changing of times. I think yeah. Japan has been one of the more well formed ones. I oh yeah, say. yeah. And then uh, 1645, we had the establishment nope. 645. of the 645. Yeah, 645. <laughs> Fujiwara clan. Fuji Wise of the military class, samurai in the 11th century. Now this is for Nakatomi no Kamatai, which is, I think, the figurehead of the clan. Yeah. And they last so until... This time, we also mm-hmm. have the Taka reforms as well. And the Taka reforms were in the setup of the government, administration system, and also established after the Chinese model. Yeah, so a lot of Chinese influence in their beginning years, um, up until 1710, to yeah. think that they went ahead and also just a complete restructuring um, of their government and distribution of land for them to actually be able to pull it off and maintain it in, in any capacity is insane oh, yeah. to think about. 
Um, because redistributing land equally among farmers after you've already had the um, uh, like rice agriculture come in and mm-hmm. that allow people to have a lot of land, a lot of money and a lot of influence, especially with politics, for you to kind of go back and undo that to cr- make people equal again. You, I can't really name any other time that I've actually heard of that happening and being successful. But yeah. that's yeah, that's early that's Japan. Pretty much early Japan. Now we're going to take a focus on Nara and Heian periods from seventeen ten, seven ten to eleven eighty five. So, but seven ten is really. Significant Nara is the first permanent Japanese capital. Because before this, Yatamoto was a capital, Kanto took root. There was all these different regions that kept moving, but Nara is actually a, a fixed location for the capital. Um, it was also after the Chinese capital. Buddhist monasteries in the new capital, uh, strong political influence. Who would have known? Buddhism and the monasteries gain influence in government. Position of yeah, the man. government and central government as well. I mean, that's that's kind of how it runs in Girl. tandem. Almost, almost always, whatever is the major religion is typically going to run in hand with the people who are in power. It's just yeah. that's, that's the way it works. So um, yeah. these Buddhist monasteries aligned um, with political figures mm-hmm. and influence, so that way they could protect the position of the emperor and the central government. And the capital did move from Nara uh, in, seven, in 784. It moved to uh, Nagaoka. And then yep. it moved to Hien, that is now Kyoto, um, in yep. 794. And it stayed there for over 1,000 years. So, yeah. So, now it's like that 1,000 years has actually influenced the capital moving. So, yeah, they had to really find themselves, who they are, and basically establish the capital and have a central holding in such capital. Yeah. Because this this period of time um, for Nara and Hien, it was really when Japan started to break away mm-hmm. from Chinese influence. So they had done the restructuring of land um, by modeling things off of the Chinese yeah. government. But once they had established themselves and enough time had gone by, you want you want your own independence. And you see it mm-hmm. time and time again. So they started to break away from Chinese influence and tradition. Um, and it still had it still had like a strong bond to them. It wasn't a quick breakaway, but mm-hmm. they did, they did move the capital. They put it in a place where they could hold their own political power. Um, and then like things that were specialized or particular to Japan, like needs, yeah. services, government um, yeah. offices and models, those all started to come about mm-hmm. and be influenced during these oh, yeah. periods. You know, we had the kind of, Kana symbols. Uh, Kana is basically you had like Hentakana, all that other stuff. So the basic forms of Japanese writing takes hold. The literature takes hold. Uh, Buddhist 
effects become uh, imported were also Japanized, as they call it. You know, the Japanization during this period is pretty influential because cutting off ties with China in direct adaptation of their policies to create their own identity. Yeah. We also we also have to address uh, even though the Taka reforms were influential at the time, it still had similar impacts like the Articles of Confederation did. It had failures and part of those were land and taxation reforms. Mm-hmm. And you know what high taxes does, right? Makes you poor. Yeah. Impoverishment. Many farmers selling properties and uh, became tenants of larger landowners. So the distribution of wealth through the high taxes also made well, wasn't areas it distribute, in the land. They redistributed land, but they yeah. didn't redistribute wealth. So yeah. if you were poor, <laughs> they just gave you... You were still poor. Like, yeah, if you had a little bit of land and then they gave you more land, but you were still poor... And then they yeah. tax everybody higher because naturally, of course, mm-hmm. you can't move a capital city. You can't create a capital city and move it three times without yeah. having enough money circulating through. So there were high taxes and a lot of people went mm-hmm. through massive poverty um, and displacement because of that. It's just like, well, the transition to the Great Plains. Well, they gave you land. You're still poor, but you're still poor regardless of the land you were given, but you had your own opportunity. Yeah. Um, We also have aristocrats and Buddhist monasteries exceeding and achieving tax immunity. Go figure. Of course, they're going to be an exact result not affected by the tax system. Yeah. So, again, religious groups and Basically, the one percent were the ones who were exempt from these uh, these very high taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what ended up happening is there was a shift in uh, the power dynamic that existed because now that there's not enough um, money to go around and people are less equal than they were before, many of them had to go and work for the people who had more land and more money. So those people became the ones who were able to make more political influence. Because essentially, they they had the power of the people. Quite literally, yep. they had the people on their land. So the yeah. government had to work more with um, independent landowners and farmers. Yeah, who were just successful. And, uh, these landowners, what we can call like feudal lords, kind of in the day, kind of mm-hmm. thing. So we can say that like they're like a they're like a lord. They're directing all this influence because of the, how much wealth they have. Uh, Fujiwara family political scene still very big high end period over several centuries strategic intermarriages with the imperial family and accompanying all important political offices in Kaito and the major provinces so during this time the clan reached its peak in the Fujiwara Michigan Awa in the year six eight no ten sixteen. Yeah. Michigan, however, began to decline and public order couldn't be maintained. 
Yeah. This and this was the time where samurais became um in high popularity and in high demand because these landowners started needing their own security to maintain mm-hmm. the areas that they had. Uh, and this is after, where the samurai for Ohio came about too. Independent yes. motionaries and all this other stuff became basically security. Uh, Fujiwara supremacy came to an end in six in 1068 when the new emperor Gosan okay Sanjo was determined to rule the country by himself and fair to control him. Oh, okay, he meditated. That's a pretty big shift. True. That's it's actually really the Insei government. The uh, Insei government during this time was the shift from the Fujiara uh, supremacy. Yeah. And, I mean, this is the, finally the transition of beforehand where it was just political rulers and there'd be an emperor, but they were more so just for show and tapestry um, while the Buddhist monasteries and these political leaders, they ran the country. Then it went to the Fujiwara um, family having main control. And now you have an actual emperor in power who had enough power yeah. uh, to take over the government and run it himself, oh, which yeah. hadn't been done before. Um, and I mean, he, he eventually did like um, yeah. kind of step back from the very main scene of being the front runner, the guy that you, whose face you would attach to it, but he still continued to rule. Yeah. Um, from behind the curtains of the political stage in 1060. Uh, I'm sorry, 1086. And so, yeah, Insei government. Yeah, and it also Insei government reached from 1086 to 1156. Tara Hiromori, new leader of Japan. Now we go into the 12th century. After 1156, two military families, Mimamoto or Genji and Tara, or Hayaki, families. The, te- the Tara replaced Fujiwara nobles, while M- Minamoto gained military experience part of the northern Honshu under Japanese control in the early nine years, from 1050 to 1059, and the later three years from 1083 to 1087. Basically, it's just political control after this point, and two battle big families, it's big influence. Yeah. Because beforehand, you you typically had at least one singular group who was doing the control, but now you're now we're seeing the families go against each other. These these are those mm-hmm. wonderful shows that, like the historical shows that people love to watch, where you're yeah. watching. Um, how these how they bow to each other in public politically but then they're also waging actual wars like these are were much uh more uncouth times like they actually would Mm -hmm. go to war and try and murder each other it wouldn't just be a debate on stage um then we have 1159 the hg rising uh this is basically between two families you know power it's Tara Hiramori 
is the leader during this time. He's the, the victor of the Terra family from 1168 to 1178 to the Emperor. He was not only by the rivaling Minamoto, but also the Inquisition militant type Buddhist monasteries that led wars and disrupted, distributed the public order. Yeah. So he he basically ruled the country through the emperor, um, yeah. kind of like how you would hear of uh, advisors who wouldn't like basically yeah. lead young kings, um, and they would be the real ones running the country. Yeah. But he yeah. constantly was having conflicts with the uh, the militant um, Buddhist monasteries because just because Buddhism preaches peace does not mean that that's how they gain control. They didn't do it just by being peaceful. They would go to yeah. war. Um, oh, yeah. And then also the then, Minamoto family. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Kimomo's death singles the Terra and Minamoto clans to fight even more for supremacy. Yet the Genpei War, uh, 1180 to 1185, Minamoto were able to put an end to the Terra supremacy, and Minamoto Yori Tomo. Succeeded as the leader of Japan, limiting all the potential and enemies, including the family members. He was appointed shogun. So this is where shogun gets in, put into play. Yeah. So yeah, the clash of Teo and Minamoto. Minamoto is succeeding. They have a new leader. Shogun is formed. So it's going to become a little bit more interesting now. So next up is the Kama, um, the Kamakura period from 1192 um, to 1333. Uh, we are starting off um, with 1192. This is when we have our new Shogun um, yep. who has been appointed. But after uh, um, Yoritomo's death in 11. 99, there was another core for supremacy. Again, another battle to see who would take over between the Kamakura uh, Bakafu and the Imperial Bakafu. Court of mm -hmm. Kyoto. Um, and that ended in the Jokyo Disturbance of 1221 when Kamakura defeated the Imperial Army in Kyoto and the Hojo Regents in Kamakura achieved complete control of Japan. So yep. land was re redistributed um, and gained. Um, they got loyalty from very powerful people. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the emperor and the remaining government offices in Kyoto lost basically all of their power. So once Pretty again... Pretty much become bigoheads. Yeah. Poor so once, <laughs> he always gets bashed. I mean, honestly, uh, if, you, if you could be a fly on the wall while watching all of this, you're literally just watching like people fight consistently every time every time one big figurehead dies it's a complete brawl out to see who's yep. gonna take over um and that's that's what's gotten us here now to yeah. uh the kyoto uh the kamakura period so yeah, mm. yeah. 1932 no shoot 1232 a legal code the Palmated, it stressed Confucian values, loyalty to the master, attempted to suppress the discipline of morals and discipline, 
out of control of the Hojo clan and any signs of a burns would destroy the media. Okay. Yeah. So that's because pretty Chinese, cool. I mean, Chinese influence was, again, still there. Just because it started to decline um, yeah. in a couple of hundred years earlier did not mean that um, Japan wasn't still heavily influenced by these very strict morales. And the Buddhist sect that was in power now, um, or just very radical, uh, had come in about in 1253. Yeah. So now, we, now we're seeing the tightening of the yeah. world. And during this tight control, Shogun was in Karakura, without much power, locating Kaito in western Japan, Constantopoles, stewards controlled the provinces loyally and tightly, Hojo regents were able to bring decades of peace, economic expansion, etc., etc., until another power came to threaten Japan in 19... Shoot, 1259. 1259, we get hit with the Mughals. And now the, Mo- um, the Mongols have been taking over within China, um, just creating tyranny, capturing land. But they had set their sights on Japan. And naturally, there's always declarations of wars being sent out. So they're letting Japan know that we are coming for you and we are planning to take over your nation. Um, And they were, these things were ignored by Kamakura. He just, I guess, decided that they they weren't serious enough or wasn't a big um, deal. But that resulted in 1274, there being the Mongol invasion, the very first one at least, on the island of Kyoshu. And while this battle absolutely would have led to a defeat for Japan and this island, because the weather was so bad, the um, the Mongols had to actually retreat their gigantic fleet um, of ships just because of the weather. So it was absolute luck that this one island wasn't taken over. And the fact that the man in power was just like, you know, there these threatening letters... Um, coming from our neighboring country aren't that big of a deal is very strange. From years and years of fighting, it, it seems very odd. Let's see. And then... So, yeah. We have the first Mongol Empire weather conditions, and as a result, they were not able to take Japan well, the simple fact that the island was too much and the naval yeah. fleet could not deal that with was it. That, that's what saved them. Now, this actually made Japan because the large and modern Mongol force were not favor at all. But if they were not geologically isolated by a big island, and had protection on all sides, and it could have been a land force that they could not deal with. So, due to good preparations, the Japanese maintained the defense for several weeks. The second invasion attempt in 1281, but the Mongols were finally forced to withdraw mainly together. Hmm. You know what this is sounding like? This is sounding like all the times that Russia got in, 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 in winter was so deadly that 
Asian forces. Yeah, sometimes you just get lucky by having really, really, like, I I don't know if it's good or bad, like, geological location. (laughs) It's it's a good... Yeah. I mean, the geological location of Japan makes it, like, you have to send boats over there. During this time, boats of naval naval warfare was not, well, not as it's not even strong that. as it is. Taking into account, the so. first invasion was in 1274, and it took them, um, what, seven years, so 1281, yeah. to launch their second invasion, repair ships, get more ships out yeah. there, and then only for it to fail for the exact same reasons. Mm-hmm. But because of this, um, and because the Mongols mm-hmm. had now attacked twice within... Um, less than 10 years, uh, the, you know, Kyoshu, the islands they were attacking, remained on high alert. And um, and then the, uh, the Kamakura, they, the Kamakura, they became very invested in trying to protect Japan. So they put a lot of money into building up their armies, their resources, yeah. basically preparing for war, which... Um, never came because the Mongols started running into issues while in China and they were too busy handling mainland issues to actually to care about Japan and (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh yeah remember the Mongols are an empire so they are so large that they have to deal with the internal affairs yeah they essentially said we'll come back to this side quest Um, and yeah, they never did, but this did lead to yeah, massive consequences for the Kamakura um, uh, military group because essentially what happened mm-hmm. is that all of these war preparations meant that they had put in money and gotten no profits from these wars. They hadn't acquired new land. They hadn't gotten new resources, nothing, no gain in power. Um, so for the men who were loyally fighting for the Kamakura, they were still waiting to get paid. This is still a time where people want to get paid, especially um, hired mercenaries in a sense. So they did not get paid by their government. Um, and hence, yeah. yep. And this causes disloyalty and the powerful lords for some yep. reason to the fall of the government. Uh, 1333, the power of the Hojo Regents had declined to such a decree that the emperor was able to restore imperial power and overthrow the yeah, Kamakura. So they got Apopo. in power, they kept it for a period of time, but because of just just sheer good and bad luck. Good luck for the entire country, but bad luck for this particular region, um, military region. It just it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. Now we have the Muromashi period from 1333 to 1573. Kamakoa Bafufu is defeated. Godigo is restored. And then we have the, uh, the uh, Kimiyu Restoration, which, which is the old administration system, out of date in practice and incompetent Officials failed getting the support, didn't only last very long, but it did try yeah. to restore order, So um, it failed. With, with them being out of power for so long, once they tried to come back in and restore 
basically traditional order, it didn't work. They And again, large land owners are the ones who you need to win over mm-hmm. and they did not do that. So um, Ashikaga uh, Takuji, uh, yep. he began fighting to become emperor and he was able to chop the imperial court and win. So he ended up capturing Kyoto in 1336. So Go Taigo ended up fly, um, fleeing to Yoshino. Um, he created, that was in the south of Kyoto where he created the southern court. So he created a, his own new place, um, essentially. And then another emperor ra- rose to power um, in Kyoto itself. Yeah. And so... And this is because of secession dispute going to two lines of the yeah, imperial family since the death mm-hmm. of Emperor Go Saga. Um, in 1272. Once again, another, uh, <laughs> once oh, yeah. again, there's, there's power happening, but we are seeing the dispersement <laughs> of it instead of there just being, um, religious yeah. groups running it or just one strong military. Now you have multiple <laughs> emperors and in, um, 1338, yeah. um, Ashikaga Takuji, he appointed himself as Shogun and, um, established his government in Kyoto. The, uh, And mm-hmm. the district that was famous for it was the Morimashi district. Government buildings from 1378 gave the government and historical period their names. So now we actually name it as a district instead of pottery. So that's good. And also current leaders and all that other stuff. So we have two imperial courts yeah. in Japan for over 50 years. The southern and northern courts, which the southern mm-hmm. court was by the former emperor. And yeah. the northern coast, so Takuji in the north and uh, Go Taigo side. in the south. Yeah. The northern court was more in an advantageous position. Southern seceded in capturing Kaido several times, resulting in the destruction of the capital on a regular basis. They gave up, finally gave in the night. 1392, and the country became emperor-wise reunited. So at this point, now everything is being run by the emperor, um, by um, Ashikagi at this point. Uh, And so during the Shogun era, which lasted from 1368 to 1408, um, the Muromachi Bakufu was able to control the central provinces but it lost its influence in the outer regions of the country. Um, and so they established good trade relations with Ming China, domestic production increased, um, including with agriculture. And then there was the consequences of a new inheritance system. And so, mm-hmm. Yep, and these new social we classes. have the development of markets, kinds of towns, new social classes. So it's actually really good that trade has introduced improvements in the system and inheritance system. I think the new inheritance system is interesting too. That basically, if you inherit property or inherit wealth, there's a lot of flaws, there's a lot of holes in the Swiss cheese, as I call it, to cause more problems later down the line. So yeah. Fifteen in the fifteenth and sixteenth centuries, the in Chicago shoguns and the government Kaito, into practically nothing. 
members of the Murumashi period were members of land-owing hereditary families, which we call G Samurai. Yeah, they were called G Samurai. Yeah. So, trading and traditional Constantinople, of which achieved influence over whole provinces. These are the new feudal lords called the Damio. Oh, the Damio, I love that. Remind me of One Piece a little bit. But anyway, what do you think of the Damio? Um, in I think it adds like essentially fresh blood into the mix of all of these kind of, you've got these shoguns, you got these emperors, you have these feudal lords, but having these new ones that come in who are much, they, they're fighting in even smaller capacity than what we've been seeing before, mm-hmm. where it would be, it's not just the North and the South fighting. These guys are now fighting yeah. each other over decades. Um, these are generational fights that are, um, became the, known yeah. as the age of civil wars, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. So oh, Shingoku Jidai, um, and the most powerful of these guys being <laughs> uh, Takeda, uh, Yusegi and Hojo in the east in Oichi, Mori, and Hosokawa in the west. Yeah. So, the ages of a war become something else. 1542, the Portuguese and majestic missionaries in Kaishu. And Christianity comes to Japan. The Jesuits still in this time are not necessarily the best. Francis, Francis Xavier, who was a Jesuit, on the Christian Kaito, 1549 to 1550, he had opposition. Most of the Western warlords welcomed Christianity because they were keen to trade nations for military reasons. Yep. So, Jesuits, Christianity coming. Well, this is to always be expected with any developing nation. As you start to grow, I mean, at this point, they've had um, several emperors and rulers. They've had um, trade and negotiations and influence from both uh, Korea and Korea, as it was still as Korea, and also China. They've successfully evaded being um, taken over by the Mongols. And so now they've attracted the attention of uh, the West, who, of course, is going to spread Christianity. And they're also coming with a whole new plethora of resources that greedy nobles are very, very unlikely to say Mm -hmm. no to. But this does lead us on to the 16th century where we get the warlord. Oh, yeah. And this is my favorite time in Japanese history because... Mm-hmm. Nobunaga. Oda Nobunaga. He's just great. Nope. <laughs> the way we have romanticized oh, this man. <laughs> hey, the first big steps. Unification of Japan. Kaido in, in 1568 overthrowing Moamachi Bafafu in 1573. So, now we go to Azuchi. Momoyama period. We have the 
Odonumbuga retrieve Providence of Awali. Uh, if you want to know the modern city of Nagawa, 1559, many other daimyo was keen in uniting Japan. Favorably located, he succeeded in capturing the capital in 1568. So, um, in regards um, to to Nobunaga, as we mentioned before, there were these warlords who were strong um, in both the east and the yeah. west. So after he um, established himself in Kyoto, he had taken over essentially the capital. Um, he was taking out the Buddhist sects, uh, especially the Igbo sect, which was the pure land sect. They had become very powerful in several provinces. Um, they he destroyed a monastery in 1571, and he continued fighting uh, through 1580. And he had two really big rivals, which were two other very powerful warlords. One was uh, Takeda Shinjin, and then the other one was Usagi Kenshin. And luckily for him, they both died in their own battles before they were able to fight him. Um, and then after Shinjin's death, he was able to defeat the Takeda, Takeda clan in the Battle of uh, Nagashino in 1575. So he was using modern warfare during that time, which is why he's one of the bigger warlords that people talk about. Because a lot of them tried to unify Japan, but he was the one who was actually really just taking down his enemies until 1582, where he was murdered. <laughs> he was doing really well. He was doing really, really well, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. um, Pretty much. Yeah, 1582, uh, Nobunaga so, yeah. is uh, murdered by General Akichi. And he captured his castle um, of Az Azuji. Um, there was a mm. a general. So, Toei, yeah, defeated him, took control, eliminated remaining rivals, subdued the northern provinces and Shigoku in 1583. Mm -hmm. In Kinenshu in 1587, defeating the Hojo family, which is a huge accomplishment. Hojo has been around for a long time. Old and Ottawa in 1590, where it was finally yeah. reunited. I know, well, I Japan. You can only wish that you would have a, a good enough friend like so, that. Where if your main mission in life is to unite Japan and you're murdered, he immediately <laughs> murders your murderer. Like he takes out the person oh who took you God. out and then yeah. still achieves your dreams. Yeah. Man, that's what anime is all about. Just real life history in Japan. <laughs> Just... yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolute disco. Uh, Hideyoshi destroyed many castles mm -hmm. that were built to the country through the era of Civil War. 1588, confiscated weapons of all the farmers and malicious institutions in the sword hunt. He forbade the samurai to be activist farmers and forced them to be in castle towns. A clear distinction between social classes. Uh, you increase the government's control over people. A land survey was in 1583, and they have a census carried out in 1590. Uh, Hiroshi's large castle, the Osaka Castle, was completed. 
So he's destroying all these other castles and he's making yeah. his own castle. Okay. That makes perfect sense. That's not how castles work. But, you know, that's how castles work. Uh, that's not how castles work at all. That's the, no, no. The castles are doing their jobs. They're being castles. But he is being smart in destroying the foundations yeah. of um, his opposition. Yeah. So they don't have, they can't already have something to build off of. Yeah. They would have to completely rebuild. And then he's also taking away weapons. Yeah. Um, he expels Christianity, yeah. um, basically forbades it. Mm-hmm. And um, he does executions of uh, Christian missionaries of 26 um, Franciscans as a warning because he did kick them out of the country in 15, um, I'm sorry, in 1587, but they found a way to re-enter just a few years later in 93. So foreign traders and missionaries uh, that were aggressive and intolerant toward native Japanese institutions in that era, um, they had their fellow countrymen were conquering and colonizing other parts of the world in the name of Christianity. So, as of course, as everything's happening, they're establishing their country. He's trying to get Christianity out. Um, but there are still people who are heavily influenced mm-hmm. by it and still pushing the message regardless and still letting these people in. Yep. Yeah. Now, you know, after reuniting the country, he's attempting to realize his rather mellow, megalo. Maniac dream of conquering China. 1592. Korea. He invades China, no, Korea, captures Seoul, the capital, within a few weeks. However, pushed back by Chinese and Korean forces in the following year, Hanunushi stubbornly didn't give in until the final evacuation from Korea in 1598, the same year in which he died. And then we have another political figure coming into the mix. Takuara Leyesu, who had been an intelligent partner of Inurashi and Nobuga. Mm-hmm. Nobuga. Hayanushi yeah. as the most powerful man of Japan. So this brings us to the Edo period. It oh boy. And it's about, interesting. about a little over 200 years, from 1603 to 1868. <laughs> so we start off with Tokugawa. Um, he essentially did not care about Hideyoshi's uh, successor. He didn't respect him, who was Hideyori. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to become the absolute ruler of Japan. Um, and so in the Battle of uh, Sekigara, Sekigahara in 1600, he ended up defeating Hideyori's loyalists and other Western rivals. So he achieved almost unlimited power and wealth and was appointed shogun in 1603 by the emperor and established his government in Edo, which is now Tokyo. Um, and, they, and the Tokugawa shoguns continued to rule Japan for another 250 years, which is the entirety of the Edo period. For Anne, this is also like the explorer aspiration from Europe to the Americas. So the Edo period is really interesting because it's actually lasting a really mm-hmm. good amount of chant. Yeah. Um, uh, so we brought the whole country under tight control. 
We distribute gate land among Damio. More loyal, more strategically, more domains. Damio are required to spend every second year in Edo. A huge financial burden for the Damio and moderate his power at home. Uh, foreign trade, relations with the English and the Dutch. Uh, on the other hand, right. enforce the suppression and persecution of Christianity from 1614 onward. And of course, destruction of the Tori Tomi clan in 1615. He captured Osaka Castle. He and his successors had practically no rivals and prevailed throughout the Edo period. Oyo's samurai. Educating themselves not only in the martial arts, but also in literature, philosophy, the arts, etc. Mm -hmm. Also the T-Sam. So he was very strategic in, in his work. While Nobunaga, I think, is so, the the warlord everyone looks at in the tr like in the one who truly helped with the unification of Japan. And if it wasn't for its efforts, yeah. we definitely wouldn't have gotten here by now. Um, we see something completely different with uh, Tokugawa, he knows how to negotiate with the Western world. He keeps pushing Christianity out. They have not given up on that. They do not want Christians there. Um, and now he's gotten rid of all his enemies. So at this point, he, he basically isolates Japan from the rest of the world um, by doing a self-isolation and banning all abroad travel um, in 1633. So um, by 1639, Japan was almost completely yeah. isolated. Uh, and so that was reducing the contacts to the outside world to strongly regulated trade relations with China and the Netherlands um, through the port of Nagasaki. Um, all foreign books were banned and only select Donald were allowed to trade with Korea and um, mm. the Ryoku Kingdom and the Anu Kingdom in Hokkaido. Yeah. Despite the isolation, domestic trade, agriculture production continued to improve. Edo period and then the uh, Jinroku era, which is 1688 to 1703. Uh, culture flourished. Popular culture flourished. New arts like Kabuki Ukiyo. and Yukito became very popular. Yeah, Yukito. Kabuki. I, I think it's really interesting. Kaido is not something I'm as familiar with, but I know Kabuki definitely. Um, then we have Takagawa. Japan was net, was Neo Confucius, stressing the importance of morals, education, hierarchy, or in the in the government. We have strict four class system, Edo period. Top of the social is the samurai, mm -hmm. the peasants, artisans, and merchants. And the members of the full class were not allowed to change their social status. Outcasts were prof professions that were considered impure that formed a fifth class. So, like, the impoverished and whoever else. Yeah. I don't know. Um, maybe foreigners. I don't know. And so, after this point... Um... We finally have gotten to a point where it's now 1920. 
And um, the ban for Western literature, those books, those foreign books, that was taken up. It was, you know, canceled out, which allows new teachings to enter into Japan um, from China and Europe, like Dutch learning. And new nationalist schools that combine Shinto and Confucianist elements also developed. Um, and the Tokugawa government remained strong and remained stable over several centuries. This definitely had to help with the caste system um, and um, basically doing a self-concentration of, uh, of their culture. Um, and then it began to decline for several reasons. There was a steady worsening of the financial situation, um, which led to higher taxes and riots from the farm population, constantly seen in um, Japanese history. And they experienced um, natural disasters and years of famines that caused uh, further riots and further financial problems for the central government in the Dama. So even them having their samurai and whatnot, if people are starving and hungry, they're going to riot. And so that caused the social hierarchy to begin breaking down um, because the yeah. merchant class started to decrease. Um, I'm sorry, the merchant class started to increase and grow bigger and bigger while the samurai became financially dependent on them to get hired for jobs and to get money. So in the second half of the era, corruption, incompetence, and a decline in morals within the government caused even more problems from what they already had. Yep. True. Now, the end of the uh, 18th century, external pressure. Uh, Russians first tried to establish trade contacts with Japan without success. Uh, other European nations and the Americas in the 19th century. Uh, it was eventually the Komodari uh, Perry, 1853. And again in 1854, forced the Takagawa government to open a limited number of ports for trade. However, the trade remained very limited to the Meiji Restoration in 1868. Oh boy. Commodore Perry coming from America with a battleship and saying. Yeah. And I mean, along with the the natural disasters, the failing of the government in regards to providing people, um, this push for international trade, um, it became, Mm -hmm. while it was limited, it started back up because of the Meiji um, restoration. But the government did eventually fall in 1867 and 1868 just because uh, while there was a class of essentially samurai who were ultra conservative, they agreed with keeping the outside world out, were very pro-Japanese, only Japan, nothing else. Um, There were still growing tensions and people were seeing the benefits of Western influence and, you know, interactions and engagement. So uh, the, the government started to lose political power and heavy political pressure caused it to eventually yep. fall. And that's when we enter the Meiji era. Yep. And the Meiji period from 1868 to 1912. So the time now of Japan gets significantly shorter with the emperor and all this other stuff. So Takagawa was very successful in the Edo period. Not in the Edo period. Yeah. Either. 
Meiji was moved from Kaito to Tokyo, the new capital. Imperial Palace was stored. Political power was transferred to Tokigawa Bafufu into the hands of small group of nobles and formal samurai. Other subject Asian nations forced to sign unequal treaties with Western powers. There's one side of economic issues in Japan. They regained independence from Europeans in America. Established herself as a respected nation in the world. Meiji Japan was determined to close the gap. Western powers and militarily and economic reforms were carried out in all areas. So this is interesting because now Japan right. actually catch up with the Western world. They become a Western power. No, they came to compete with Western powers, which is I think a first. I'm I think about the first so. Asian nation yeah. to do so. So they were ahead of. Yeah, they were ahead of Asian. Other ahead of their a, moves were Asian very strategic. So from Nobunaga to um to what was it yeah. Tokugawa to now we got to the Meiji era with their um with their emperor. They all realized mm-hmm. a very big need for change in the country and were very quick to implement those, which is they realized they needed to unify the yeah. country. That's what we got with Nobunaga. Um, yeah. With Tokugawa, he knew that they needed to make very strategic relations, but they needed to grow as a country itself. But the big issue was that they cut themselves off from the world. So once we entered the Meiji era, they're reopening themselves, but now they're restructuring their country in all in all sectors, so from agriculture to social classes to re, um, public relations, yeah. uh, they they knocked down the samurai. The samurai lost all of their power and position because they were so yeah. high above everyone. Um, and so you see them mm-hmm. lose that and basically become like less than commoners almost um, in these social reforms to allow for. Religious freedom that happened in 1873, and to kind of equalize the entire the entire country, mm-hmm. so that way people weren't so left out. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have feudal lords, the domino return all lands to the emperor. 1870, reconstruction education system. French and the German system, introduction of compulsory education, which we have to, similar today, intensive Westernization, Westernization, national beliefs, principles of Confucianism and Shinto, the worship of the emperor increasingly internalized and taught at the institutions, uh, military sector, high priority in European and American imperialism, universal conscription, and a new army after the Persian force and navy and the British one. So yeah, they're going from Aragonian Mm -hmm. economy to an industry. And they were very smart because um, Um, to transform into this Aragonian economy they they sent out their scholars to travel around the world and to study abroad, to learn the sciences, the languages, and learn from different experts and then come back and teach 
um, Japanese nationals, these things to, again, continue growing the country. Um, So the transportation and communication networks were improved um, by the means of the large government investments. And they also directly supported the prospering of businesses and industries, um, especially the large and powerful family businesses called the um, Zabatsu. Yeah, we have, yeah, uh, financial crisis, 1880s, reformed the currency and established the Bank of Japan, textile grew faster as so we made the largest into World War II, early factors were really bad, developing social and liberal movements, and click, uh, Japan received its first European constitution, 1899. We call it the Diet by the Emperor. He stood at the top. Navy, executive, legislative, uh, kept on holding actual power. Meiji agreed to the most of the actions. Political parties did not yet gain willpower to the lack of unity. Uh, then we have this uh, Sino Japanese War, 1884 to 1885. Japan defeats China, receives Taiwan, but was forced by Russia, France, and Germany return other territories. The triple in- intervention caused Japanese army and navy to intensify rearmament. Basically, this is the first war that kind of gave Japan mm-hmm. a push in the Asian sector. And then we moved to the Russo-Japanese War 1904 yeah. to 1905. So Japan did end up winning this war. They gained territory, and they finally got some international respect. And this is something that is, of course, very hard uh, at this time for Asian countries because they they are smaller and they have less resources yeah. than a country like Russia um, or like any of the countries in Europe. So after doing so, uh, Japan continued to increase mm-hmm. uh, their influence on Korea. And eventually completely annexed um, Korea in 1910. And in Japan, the war successes caused nationalism to increase. And in other nations, um, Asian nations decided to develop themselves to have their own self-confidence. And also a really important fact into the uh, international atmosphere and theater is the Russo-Japanese War promoted uh, Japan to the Western at- campaigns, which Russian was also involved in European affairs a lot, and they just have to be so big mm-hmm, to go to mm-hmm. Asia as well. And then in yeah, so nineteen twelve, Emperor Maji dies. Heir of the ruling clique of Edo Statement. Yeah, so for about, about uh fourteen years from nineteen twelve. Oh, and now we're in the Taisho, an early Showa period from 1912 to 1945. Mm-hmm. Um, for about 14 years, Emperor Taisho, he ran a very weak government, which caused a shift from the um, oligarch clique, which, you know, the main power heads holding power, uh, to shift over to a parliament mm-hmm. within democratic parties. And then we had the First World War come through. Yeah. Yep. Japan is allied with the Allied powers. 
They only play a minor role in the fighting. German colonial forces in East Asia. Uh, at the the Paris Peace Conference of 1919, Japan's proposal of amending a racial equality clause to co-invent the League of Nations was rejected by the United States, Britain, and Australia. Arrogance and radical discrimination toward Japanese had plagued Japanese Western relations since the force opening in the 1800s. Major factor decades preceding World War II, 1924, U.S. Congress passed the Exclusionary Act for the immigration from Japan. So yeah, this is the fair policy. They could have maybe admitted something like something similar to the racial equality clause to maybe give Japan a foothold or a say or a balance of power kind of thing. But they did not. And we go to other things as a result. Growing tension um, decades later. Yeah. World One. We have Japan's economic situation worsens, the great Kato earthquake of 1923, and the worldwide depression of 1929 intensified the crisis. Um, military established complete control of government. Political enemies were assassinated. Communists persecuted. Indoctrination, censorship, and education media. Intensified naval and army occupy most important offices, including prime minister. And then we go to the Western nations and force China and unequal in economic um, political treatment. Their time dealing with Western countries. Um, so their influence over Manchuria it had yes. grown since the end of the Russo the Russo uh, Japanese War of 1904 and 05. And when the Japan, um, when Chinese nationalists began to seriously challenge the Japanese position in Manchuria in 1931, the uh, Kwantang army, uh, which was Japanese armed forces in Manchuria, uh, they occupied the whole area. Um, a year later, uh, Manchukuo was declared an independent state it was controlled by this army um, through a puppet government. And in the same year, uh, the Japanese Air Force bombarded Shanghai in order to protect Japanese residents from anti-Japanese movements. So there was a bunch of stuff happening from World War One and being discriminated against from the Western countries, especially America, to also having to fight neighboring countries such as China. Um Yeah, mm-hmm. and then they withdrew from the League of Nations in 1933. Well, actions critically criticized in China, but League of Nations failed anyway. That's yeah. why the United Nations now. Oh boy, 1937, the second Sino-Japanese War broke out. Again, another atmosphere of the Asian power. Small incident, full-scale war. Kwantan Army, independently from a government, from a modern government, to see and occupy them with the whole coast of China, uh, and committed severe war atrocities on the population. The fall of the 
the capital of Nankin, which the Nankin massacre is happening. Chinese government never surrendered completely, and the war continued on a yeah, lower scale. Yeah, so at this point, Japan is starting to wow. truly um, become an enemy of, of especially China, but other countries. They end up, uh, you know, joining forces with uh, Germany and Italy um, with the Axis powers, especially right before we start up with an- another world war. Um, mm-hmm. And these intensified conflicts with the United States and Britain. And this was because there was an oil boycott happening at this time. Um, Japan went on to try to take over and capture the oil-rich Dutch islands of Indonesia and started a war with the U.S. and Britain. And that's what led to the Pearl Harbor bombings in December of 1941. Um, Japan still continued to expand control over the large territory and still cause um, influence within the borders of India in the West and New Guinea in the South. Um, But then there was the turning point of the Pacific War uh, for midday in June 1942. And uh, from then on, the Allies slowly started to win back not only territory and land, but also push back the Japanese armies in completion. Um, And then... 1944 that's when the air raid started um spring by 45 u.s forces had invaded okinawa and there was one of the bloodiest wars um one of the bloodiest battles to happen in that time for japan and then on july 27 1945 um allied powers they requested that japan do a post declaration of surrender to basically just stop (laughs) they just to stop fighting us and st- like stop going against us, we'll keep bombing you. Um, yeah. And uh, the result of this, because they didn't stop, they were very loyal to the emperor. The uh, Shudo Code on this time was like hugely impacted to the loyal to the emperor. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, August 6th and August 9th, and then the uh, Soviet. The bombings of those cities were really yep. devastating. The Manhattan Project, United States. And then the Soviet Union entered the war against Japan on August 8th. August 14th, however, Emperor Showa finally decided to surrender unconditionally, even though the, the effects of that surrender... Uh, well, I mean, you go up against the world war country. and you're already going against the West, but once the Soviet Union enters in, exit the chat. So they've been bombed, hit with atomic bombs. Uh, their their country's been Pretty devastated. Much. So now we are in the post-war history. So uh, this is everything that's gone on since 1945 um, yep. with, you know, World War II and all of that. So once the war had ended, Japan has been devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, their industries, their network systems have been severely damaged and there is a shortage of food that goes on for several years. Um, yeah. The occupation of Japan by the Allied powers started in ni- August 1945 and then April 1952. General MacArthur, first Supreme Companion, the whole operation was mainly compared Carried out by the United States, they lost all the territory, all the territory acquired 
After 1894, in addition, the Kuril Islands were occupied by the Soviet Union, and Ryukyu Islands and Kurima were controlled by the United States. So, Akiwana was returned to United Japan in 1972. However, a territorial dispute with Russia concerning mm. the Kuril Islands so, um, had not been resolved. After yet. this point, now that Japan has lost all the territory they've taken over, and they're still trying to recover, and they're still dealing with crap from Russia. Um, they had their war machine destroyed, uh, and then war crimes were held because they had committed war crimes against the Chinese uh, uh, community and people, and also against the the U.S. So from there, uh, over five hundred military officers committed suicide after Japan surrendered. And then many more, um, hundreds more, were executed and found guilty for committing war crimes, except for Emperor Showa, who was not declared a warhead. Instead, um, a new constitution was forcefully put into effect in 1947. He lost all of his political power and military power and was basically made like a figurehead and a symbol. So... And also, because the, the, uh, the, he would also, Emperor Showa would be the last emperor of this period until his death. Yeah. It will not be they also, um, after that. They were also forbade from ever leading a war again. We, because you gotta remember, they did lead a war. <laughs> they, they did start this stuff. It was actually forbade to leave like the, they, uh, they basically, this the capital is, grounds. Um, when the biggest penalties came into effect following World War II, um, and they were basically being completely yeah. policed by Western countries. Um, so they were forbade from ever leading a war again and, um, or maintaining an army. And furthermore, Shinto and the state have, were clearly separated. There was no longer this intermingling between um, both sets. Yeah. Uh, intended to break up power con concentrations, Daibosu and other large companies, decentralizing education system, police, land reform, concentrations in land ownership were removed. Um, of forced half the occupation. Japanese media was subject to rigid censorship of anti. American statements and controversial topics such as race. And yeah, uh, this also, the censorship kind of made Japan go into other areas to talk about war propaganda after the war, mm -hmm. which we have in early anime. Um, and so uh, well, during this time, we are there. leading up into the Cold War. And so... Once again, there's the Allied forces, but it, it, especially America is putting more pressure on Japan to not only have its own defense army set up in place, even though they were strictly forbade from having an army following World War II, but also the Americas were prosecuting communists now because they were going up against Russia, and there are communists who are in, in who were going to be in Japan, so. Persecution of, of communists forced them to create their own, yep. basically, defense system while still 
increasing the number of soldiers they were in like introducing into the area to basically keep an eye on them um but it's it's basically say we want to make sure you're not going to do anything want to make sure you're not going to start another war but also if someone decides to attack you you need to figure it out so there was a lot of um of anger and resentment during this time Yeah. Uh, peace treaty 1952 occupation ended Japan's self-defense force was established in 1954 large public demonstrations great public unrest by the renewal of US-Japan security treaty mm-hmm. of 1960 uh, the Korean War accelerated the recovery of Japan's economy Flourished. Uh, quick, in a quick rise of living standards, change in society, ruling position of Liberal Democrat Party (LDP), but in severe but also severe pollution. Yeah. So essentially, after after the Korean War, the country was able to reestablish itself, and um, they did have a ruling uh, position with the Liberal Democratic Party better standards, um, their relations with the Soviet Union was normalized and no longer like kind of antagonistic in fighting. Um, and that was in 1956. Mm-hmm. And then they normalized theirs with China in 1972. Uh, they did have an oil crisis in 1973, which um, kind of rocked their economy as they are very, very much so oil dependent. Um, but it also caused a immediate shift into high technology industries which we now know has spread across the world uh and been a big a big sector within their economy in in the world honestly so yeah this is our attempt for going from japan's history from then to now it's a brief overview of Japan has in the different mm-hmm. periods resulting in the Japan that we know today. So it was a really interesting topic for this particular episode, a little bit longer than others, but it has good faith because now we can refer to other periods when discussing different topics. I mean, yeah, so, this, hey, and this was a very our- brief, <laughs> like, overview of their history each one of these eras that we went through has so much more in them and so many key players that help help the country develop to what it is now mm-hmm. and it's also just great to learn its history because as we enjoy um their culture and the products that they produce their animations and storytelling it's great to see how they got there and also how that um is shown through their artwork so when we did our podcast um, episode on the evolution of anime, uh, we you see a lot of that influence, especially starting up mm-hmm. from the World War. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, this is the conclusion of Japanese history from then to now. Uh, you can you can check out NC Anime on any streaming network. Podcast near you, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, 
Apple Podcasts, at Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other areas. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, if you want, please support us on Patreon at Blog MC Anime. See you guys. Thank you so much, and enjoy your day. Uh,